Pastor, so you can be seated. We're good? Hallelujah. You guys happy this morning? Let me see what I can do about that. Totally just kidding. Totally just kidding. So uh, this is our second message in the series, Outside the Box but Inside the Lines. And uh, what we're trying to discover together is how to, to get out of the traps of life and get moving forward. You know, get out of those places that we're stuck and get, get to growing in our spiritual life and in our physical life, our emotional life. Henry Cloud says that all growth is spiritual growth, and I agree with that. Anytime that we can grow, it helps us to understand and grow in our God as well. So I want to start today by thinking about a, um, a, a, another situation in the past, a, another series of lives in the box, so to speak. The nation of Israel went into captivity for 70 years. At the end of that 70 years, they were allowed to come back home to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. About 50,000 people packed up their bags and left the only life they ever knew in their lifetimes to return to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. When they got there, political pressures were great. Their enemies were powerful all around them. They got the foundation laid, but for about 15 or more years, they kind of were stuck. They were in limbo. They were trying to eke out a living in the rubble of Jerusalem. So God sees this. God says, okay, if I don't move them, they're not going to move. So I, he sent them Haggai and Zechariah to come and prophesy over them and cast a vision for them. In Haggai's book, chapter 1, verse 7, this is God's word to the nation of Israel. He says, this is what the Lord of heaven's army says. Pause just for a second. When God introduces himself as the commander of his armies, that's a good place to be, right? Realize your God's in charge, okay? Look at what's happening to you. Verse 8. Now go up into the hills and bring down timber and rebuild my house. Then I will take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You hoped for rich harvests, but they were poor. And when you brought your harvest home, I blew it away. Why? Because my house lies in ruin, says the Lord of heaven's army, while all of you are bu busy building your own fine homes. What's happening? The nation of Israel, they're stuck. They're, they're afraid from their enemies on the outside. They're under pressure politically. And so now they're just stuck. They don't know what to do, so they're just trying to survive. Trying to scratch out a living in the rubble of the collapsed city of Jerusalem. And it literally was that for them. That's what they're trying to do. Now, how many of you know that's not what God wants for you? He doesn't want you just scratching out a survival, surviving existence in this world. And often we end up in places in our lives where we're stuck, where we're in a box, where we feel like we have tons of responsibilities on us and, and meaningless tasks loaded upon us that we don't know what to do about it. And we feel like they're a weight. Sometimes you feel like you're in some kind of prison that someone puts you in and you don't know how you got there. Some of you think God doesn't even like you because of the troubles that you're having in your life. So today, what I want you to realize is that when you're stuck, that's not where God wants you to be. And we're going to take some looks and some places in life where you end up stuck, on pause, in prison, and what that can look like, what life in the box can look like. And with each of those little windows into that trap, I want to show you a way out. 
And I want you to realize that in the New Testament, there is a temple, and it's you. And the foundation has already been laid. Jesus Christ, 1 Corinthians. Your task, your responsibility, under the sur surrendered to the power of God, is to build that temple in your life. Paul put it this way. He says, don't you realize that your body, say my body, my is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God. Think about that for a second, please. Right now, you're in church because church is in you. Holy Spirit's in you right now. God inhabits you. You're the temple. You may be in ruins. You might be wrecked. You might feel like you're trapped. But you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. How do we build the temple? God goes on to say, you do not belong to yourself. For God bought you with a high price. You must honor God with your body. Say, my body. My body. With your body. God lives in you. It's a profound idea. I get that. But it's one that we have to take responsibility for. And so as we think about this, as we look at some areas, that we can begin to see where we might be trapped, boxed in. I'm going to look at four things that we do that we kind of we make an excuse and let ourselves stay trapped and how we can get out of those. Okay. The first thing we do, and how you can tell, okay, pause, one more, one more thing I've got to say here. If I don't want you to get from this message something else to beat yourself up with. I want you to be free. I'm going to hand you a key to the cell, okay? Whether you use the key or not, that, that really is on you, okay? <laughs> I'm not trying to be a jerk, but you've got to own that, okay? And so I just want you to realize this isn't just to drive guilt and shame. I realize if you grew up in church, that might be what you think today is about. That today's about freedom. Today's about freedom, Amen. Okay, I'm going to need some help, by the way. I know that I just ch charged right in this sermon, and all of you are like really chill, and it's foggy, and so forth. So I think need you to jump in this sermon with me. Can you do that? Yes. Amen. How about you guys in the back? Can you do that? <laughs> Is anybody opposed? All opposed? <laughs> Can I get a motion? No, I'm just kidding. I'm having a bad, I'm having a church flashback right there. <laughs> so a lot of times in life, we say yes to bad coming into our life. We say yes to the bad. So last week I, I, I kind of laid out a simple analogy I'll, I'll refer back to a few times. Your life is like your yard. And we're talking about drawing lines in our life or building fences, so to speak, not walls. A lot of you have walls up and that's not healthy. What I mean by walls is you're isolating yourself. No one gets in, no one gets out. Building a wall in your life is building a prison for your heart. Is that, amen? Get that? That's not what I'm talking about. Fences are a way that I can let the good in and keep the bad out. Or let the bad out and keep it out and let the good in. That's what we're talking about. Okay, does that make sense? Give me a nod. Okay, good deal. All right. So, sometimes you can know you're in the, the trap or you are boxed in when we say yes to the bad. So look at this passage in John 12. Jesus said, taught the people, loved the people, done some miracles. Things were going well and people were believing. But listen to this really weird, can I say weird passage? Many people did believe in Jesus. However, including some of the Jewish leaders, so these are the Pharisees, they're the leaders, but they wouldn't admit it for fear that the Pharisees would expel them from the synagogue, for they loved human praise more than the praise of God. 
Now think about this. These guys believed in Jesus, man. They're on the doorway to freedom. Jesus said he's life, he's light, he's truth, he's freedom, he's all those things. They're right there on the cusp of a breakthrough. They're almost out of their box. But then they make a choice. And what do they do? They choose to say yes to something bad. What? Pharisaical rule. Wicked leaders. Secular Judaism. Religion that doesn't help anyone nor change anyone. They're saying yes to all these horrible, bad things that, are not, that they do not want. Do you ever do that in your life? Do you ever say yes to things you do not want? I know you think you're saying yes to chocolate cake, but you're actually saying yes to 20 pounds. Now, I know you're going, I could never eat 20 pounds of chocolate cake. And I'm like, you know you have. <laughs> Think about all those things they were saying yes to, and then let's take that idea and turn it on. Let's turn the mirror on us. So easy to preach at everybody else. But our responsibility isn't everybody else. I have no control over everybody else. This is one of the points that we have to get. I gotta turn that around and look at me and I gotta ask myself, okay, what am I saying yes to that's bad in my life? What am I really saying yes to? Who am I let control who am I letting control my life? Who am I letting guide my life? Who, who's, who's deciding what books I read? Who's determining what I see on my Facebook feed? There you go, that's about as relevant as I can make it. There's this cool thing on Facebook, unfollow. They never know you unfollow them. It's great because I can love people and not know how crazy they are. (laughs) Why do we say yes to the bad? And it's usually because of some kind of fear. I'm afraid of something. Afraid of my reputation being marred. Afraid of what people will say. Afraid of hurting someone's feelings. Anyone own that one? I just... I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. I'm the only one. I saw some nods. Thank you. Thank you. I'm not going to call out your name, but thank you for standing with me. Yes! You know, the great thing about realizing that you got to be you that we talked about last week is you realize that I'm responsible for my yard and feelings are in your yard. Now, that doesn't give me permission to be a jerk, but I, I can't control how you feel about my limits. Does that make sense? So sometimes we say yes to things that are bad for us. We, uh, we fear that someone's going to get angry. We fear we could get punished. We fear that we might be shamed. We fear that we might be seen as bad or selfish or unspiritual. That's a good one in church because we really like to use guilt in church, you know. And so we have all these fears. Let me ask you a question. Um, does God want you serving in fear? Is that something you're picking up from God's word? From God's word, I understand I'm supposed to fear God, but that is a loaded concept. And when I fear God, I don't have to fear anything else. If, if I understand the Bible I read correctly, I'm in the NLT. You might be in the hillbilly version, and I, I don't know. And so ask yourself, what am I afraid of? What am I saying yes to? What am I afraid of in my life? Am I do, moving out of fear? Or am I moving out of faith? Because Paul said in Romans, if it... If he was a southerner, he'd have said, if it ain't faith, it's sin. And, of course, that really smart guy in Proverbs said, fearing people is a dangerous trap, but trusting in the Lord means safety. 
If you find yourself in a place in life where you are saying yes to the bad because you're afraid of what people are going to say, think, do, what's going to happen because of any kind of fear at all, let that be a warning sign. So a couple weeks ago, I'm driving from church home, you know, after church, and, and my low-pressure tire light comes on. You know, I'm driving down. It starts flashing. I'm like, what's wrong? I start getting worried. It just comes on. doesn't make a noise, thank goodness, because then I would break the bulb or something, you know. And so I'm driving on the road and going, well, if I could just get home. So I don't even, I don't even stop. I'm just going to go home, and if I ruin a tire, Alan will talk to me about that later. But anyway, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I get home, and I can't find anything wrong with my tires, and i got to get it in and get it checked. I think it's just a sensor. But that light is on. And how many of you get driven nuts by that little light, that service engine, oil, whatever? Some of those you should check out. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> When you have feelings in your life, that you're, when you see yourself saying yes to things that you don't want to, when you're experiencing resentment, those kinds of things, let it be a light to awaken you to realize that something's wrong. Something's wrong. What's wrong? It could be you. You could have a bad attitude. You could be really self-centered, self-focused. It could be you. It could also be them. Someone could be manipulating you. Someone could be taking from you what you need to be giving. That's not healthy. Here's the thing you've got to realize. External compliance with internal resentment is a lie. And this basically is the foundation of everything that has to do with boundaries and lines and fences. The reason we get into trouble is because we lie. <laughs> that was really uncomfortable. Here's why. Would you help me move on Saturday? Inside. Oh, I don't want to help you move again. This is the third time this year. Okay, because that's the Christian thing to do, right? But then you do it, and you resent. It even harms the relationship. You said yes to moving when you already had something planned with your wife and kids, something that was good, or a friend. I'm not saying we shouldn't sometimes shuffle our plans for each other. I'm just saying that if you say yes, but you resent it, you're lying, and it's worthless. What do, I mean? what do you mean it's worthless? Okay, 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says, I, I gave, if I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. I could boast about it. I have helped 36 people move this year. How many are you up to, Michael? Where is he? He's laughing in the back. Not 36 yet, right? Oh, we're just beginning the year. Okay, just checking. All right. You could boast about it. I, I give so much, I sacrifice, I lay down my life. We do that all the time. But it's done out of resentment. Paul says, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. That's God's word. That's not me. I would have gained nothing. So, external compliance with internal resentment is a lie. How do I get out of this trap? How do I stop saying yes to what's bad? Well, the secret is receiving and we talk about this all the time, but um, I think this is a challenge for us because we're proud. We're too proud to receive, even from God. We really want to think that we can somehow improve God's life. That somehow we can make it so he owes us. And I think that's why we struggle receiving. I think it's why we struggle worshiping. 
Because that's what worship is. Worship is, yes, I open myself up to honor my Father, but when I open that lid to open my Father, you know what He does? He pours in. That's what worship is about. That's why worship will sustain you and fulfill you when other things will not. And so when I open up and I receive, and so if I can learn to do that and learn to receive from my Father God and from others, and that's the hard part for us because, hey, I get it. We've all been betrayed. We've all been hurt. And it's hard to trust people. But Paul makes this cool thing in First First Thessalonians. There you go. Welcome to First Thessalonians. This is the Maynard translation. Verse chapter four, verse one. Finally, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to live in a way that pleases God, as we have taught you. What's he saying? Saying God poured into me, and I poured into you. That's how this works. That's how the kingdom works. God pours into me, I pour into you. God pours into you, you pour into me. That's how this works. Receiving and giving and receiving and giving. That's the way out of the trap because we say yes to the bad and we need to learn to receive good so that we can give out of real love. That's that's really the point of drawing healthy lines in your life. It's about actually serving people out of love rather than out of resentment. Does that make sense? Okay, so when I so ask yourself, am I saying yes to the bad in my life? How can I receive from God and others to begin to move out of this box? Second, James says this. Confess your sins to each other. Let's stop and do that right now. Just kidding. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha. I just want to see if you're awake, man. Confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other so that you may be healed. That's a good word. God wrote that. I bet it's true. What do you think? Think it's true? Then look what he says. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. What's he saying? Is he saying, well, you better go out and find a righteous person to pray for you? Or is he saying, hey, you're righteous people because of what Jesus has done, so pray for each other. You think about it. James 5, 16, confess your sins one to another, pray for each other so you may be healed. Does anyone besides me struggle with that verse? I struggle because what we also do is we say yes to the bad and then we turn around and say no to the good. And that's what James 5.16 is about. James 5.16 is about God pouring into me and us, us and, and us pouring into each other this shared view of community. If I were to take a poll and I could get an honest answer on this question, which I would not expect actually in this setting, I didn't mean it like that. (laughs) Thanks, honey. It was hilarious. She laughed, Tucker laughed, and then it took off. So, I would ask, how are you doing with your aloneness? And I would ask it that way specifically because, to me, that's that captures. That isolation that we all feel, we may be surrounded by people, we may be so busy we can't think straight, and yet our own, only the heart knows its own sorrow or, or its own joy. There's something about us that experiences aloneness. We, we need, man, we need connection. This is what we need. You guys, I know you're sitting there going, I don't need connection, I just need a rifle and a hunting season and some woods and I'm good. You need connection. Just because we say it different than our wives do doesn't mean we don't need it. 
And our wives, I use the word connection. My wife is the one trying to help me, trying to help me. I'm in the class right now, Connection 101. I've been in it for 10 years. <laughs> trying to help me understand what it means. Even though I don't fully grasp it, I know it's what we desperately need. It's the root of all addictions, whether that addiction is drugs and alcohol or pornography or whether that addiction is Facebook. We are screaming out for a need to connect. And so a lot of times in life, we say no to the connection because we're afraid. Again, we're back into the land of fear. It's kind of funny, to back up to my analogy, say we're all the suburbs and we all have our own lots and we're all surrounded by our fences. Some of you are chain link, some of you are white picket, some of you are cement walls. But nonetheless, we have those fences. Here's what happens when we say yes to the bad and no to the good. We build our fences, we put the handle and the lock on the outside. And here's what happens. People out there that are controllers that don't respect our limits charge right into our fence. And the people out there that are actually safe people and do respect our limits would never invade our fence. So what do we do? We set ourselves up to be used. We reject what is good for us and we accept what is bad for us and we think we're being a good human being. Let me ask you a question. If someone else is in control of your life, who is responsible for your life? Is that a good question? Did you get the right answer? It's still you. It's still you. You have to keep that in mind. So, sometimes we say no to the good. How do we get out of this? The way out is to walk in the light. The way out of the first box, or any of these, is to start receiving. But the second step is to walk in the light. 1 John 1, 7. If we are living in the light, as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. What's, what's John saying? Jesus said, you are the light of the world. You, John 5. I mean, Matthew 5. You are the light of the world. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. How does that work? How is he the light and we're the light? Well, back to your temple, Holy Spirit living inside of you. Gee, the light of the world lives in you. Shazam, you're the light of the world. Everybody say Shazam. Shazam. You did it. I can't believe that, man. You said it wrong, though. You need a Gomer Pyle hint on it. It sounds like this is Shazam. Not doing that. Okay, good deal. So what I mean by walking in the light is certainly I walk with God. Certainly I spend time in His Word. Certainly I find out what God is like. I have a relationship with God. I experience God's presence through worship and prayer and, and so forth. Yes, that's awesome. Our problem is we stop right there. We really cowboy up in this area and we try and do it all by ourselves. If I can just get enough God, if I can just get enough Word, I can do it myself. And that's why your resolutions will fail, by the way, because you will yet again do it by yourself. And if you had the strength to do it by yourself, you would have done it by yourself by now. Right? And so this is where we need brothers and sisters in Christ. We need community. You need a small group. You need to know someone. You need to be known. Why? Because I need light in my life. What's killing you? Your darkness. 
The enemy comes along. He knows your darkness. He helped put it there. He lied to you so you would fall into it. You know what goes on in your mind, the hate you feel, the bitterness, the unforgiveness, the mistakes you've made, the dumb things you've done. He replays that, but you are keeping it in the dark, and in the dark, Satan is fertilizing it like some kind of mushroom, and it grows up and, and, and fills your mind with this fungus that corrupts you. How do you beat it? How do you overcome it? You drag that sucker out in the light. That's how you beat it. How do I drag it in the light? I get a a safe friend. A friend who doesn't just bust all up in my backyard, but a friend who understands my limits and respects them, even if they don't understand me or why. And I find a safe friend, and I say, hey, here's my dark. You know why God wants you to do that? Because as soon as you reveal your dark, you realize, one, the light captures it and overcomes it. You realize, two, your experience is common to humanity. You are not alone. We are all children, and we have all come from darkness into light in this room. And so we need to walk in the light with other brothers and sisters that are in the light. And if we have that connection, that love will heal. That can do more in such a quick period of time that you will never accomplish in your own strength. If you keep trying to do life alone, you're going to keep getting what you have right now. You got you here. You understand that? No, Michael, someone hurt me. Someone abused me. Someone used me. Yes, I am sure that those kinds of horrible things happened. But you're still responsible for you. And as a child of God, you have a foundation that is sure, Jesus Christ, available to you to build on. And as long as you hang on in unforgiveness and bitterness to what happened to you or circumstances, you are building on a lie because you won't let it go. So to move into the light is to let that go, start building on the right foundation. So when we say yes to the bad, I know it sounds dumb, but we do that. When we say no to the good, also sounds dumb, but we do that too. We also sometimes disrespect others. So the Bible says this in James 4. It says, what's causing the quarrels and fights among you? <clears throat> Don't they come from the evil desires that war within you? You want uh, what you don't have so you can scheme and kill to get it? Sounds extreme, I know. You're jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them, yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. Now, everyone in this room is like, I don't want to be that person. And you're also going, I know that person. (laughs) Or I've met them or some kind of thing. What's going on here? There are people in life, and sometimes it's us, that we don't respect the limits of others. We call them controllers, whatever that it is. What happens is, um, so back to the yard analogy. Uh, You know, your yard's fenced in. Here's how a controller would handle life. They would be in their yard and they would look around the neighborhood. They wouldn't look at their yard. Because have you ever noticed, have you ever felt this way? I'm sorry, I'm going to take a little jaunt here. Have you ever felt this way? Have you ever looked at someone's life and going, you know what, if they would do what I know they should do, they would be happy if they would just listen to me. And of course, then you have to stop and ask yourself, am I happy? How are you doing with your own yard? And here's the thing, we know our garbage, we know our yard, 
We know about our moles and our dead patches and our broken parts of the fence. We know about that. It's too hard to fix ours because we know it. We're ignorant about their situation. So from a bird's eye view, it looks like their problem is easy to fix. So that's what controllers do. That's what we do when we don't respect other people. We try and fix everybody else's yard, hoping that in, in the process of fixing their problems, eventually ours will somehow magically heal. How smart does that sound? I know last week I said stupid a couple times. I'm trying to stay away from that word this week because some of you were taking it personal. And so that's what we do. We try and, you see, we all, we all need help in life. The difference between a helper and a controller, <laughs> you're going to come up with names and I'm saying this. By the way, none of this is so you can fix all the people that are a problem in your life, okay? There's only one person that you need to be concerned about and they happen to be sitting in your skin. That, that's, that's who you need to be concerned about, okay? But how that, <clears throat> excuse me, um, well, I got lost there. But anyway, so what we try and do is we're trying to control things that are way out in the land of concern, hoping that eventually things that are in our actual responsibility and action or our control will somehow get fixed, okay? It's just easier to control other people than it is ourselves. So, <coughs> excuse me. I lost my way. Can you bear with me just a second? He's old. He forgets stuff. It happens. So how do, we, how do we get out of the control box? And here's how we do it. We honestly consider ourselves. Honestly. We honestly think about us and our identity in Christ. That's how we move forward and out of this trap. You see, your happiness is not dependent on other people. Your happiness is not dependent on other people. Okay? I realize there are bad things that happen in life that make us unhappy and sad. That, that's normal. That's, that's, we live in a fallen world. It's okay to experience those feelings. It's okay to go through those circumstances. I'm not condemning you for having negative feelings. I'm just telling you that if you choose to stay in those feelings, you will stay in those feelings, and that's on you. That's your responsibility. You have to think about, you know, that and also realize other people are not your problem. We also can receive from Christ what he's done for us, what he says about us. Sometimes, uh, not so often, okay, all the time, we need a revelation of what Jesus thinks about us, about what Papa Father, what God thinks about us. We need him to reveal that to us and, and show us how much he cares about us, how much he loves us. If we could move into that receiving again of who the Father is, then we could realize we are not alone. Some of you really feel alone and you're trying to control others because you're afraid that if you stop, they'll abandon you. The problem with trying to control other people is that as soon as you move into the, the function of control, you lose the power of influence. Your kids, your spouse... Your friends, they don't need your control. They need your influence. They need to see your yard healthy and strong. That's where it begins. I, I think I broke a thought a while ago, so I'll drop, come back into it. The difference between a controller and a helper is that a helper comes into your yard and helps you do 
the job. Helps you deal with your burdens. A controller comes in and does it for you. Tells you what you need to do. Takes over. Don't be that person. So, when we disrespect others, and then when we ignore others. Galatians says this in Galatians, I mean, Paul says this in Galatians 6.1. Brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourselves. Share each other's burdens, and in this way, obey the law of Christ. Have you ever got too tired to care? Okay, you can look spiritual. I have, okay? Uh, sometimes we get in places in life where, uh, for whatever reason, we, we get all about us and we, don't, we can't help other people. Or we don't notice that other people need help. I want you to see that we are here to help each other. This idea is not about you building walls, putting up your defenses, and making sure no one ever hurts your feelings again. Oh, no. No, 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 no. No, this is about being strong enough spiritually and emotionally so that when someone hurts your feelings, because they will, you can forgive them and love them and carry on. Okay? This is about building a strong person. It's about growing as a Christian, as a representative of Jesus, as a Christian. This is what this is about. Does that make sense? So in order for me to do that, I've got to get a hold of where I am and so forth. So sometimes we get to places where we ignore people. We cut people off. Um, we're moving at, we, we want to move out of love, real love, not just resentment. So I keep losing my way this morning. It's going to make the sermon a lot longer. Sorry. How do we get here? A couple ways we get here. Sometimes, when, when Dave Limmer was here, he said a wound either gets healed or it gets infected. A wound either gets healed or it gets infected. That's how we can move into this, we'll call them a non-responsive. The person who's ignoring the hurts around them. Sometimes we get wounded, and we don't get it healed, we don't meet Jesus with it, we don't get free of it, and it turns into an infection. How, what does an infection look like? Well, it looks like a lot of complaining and criticism and grumbling. That's, what, that's how you know someone's got a wound that needs to be healed. And you're like, well, that's my whole family. Well, let's heal them. <laughs> let's help them be free. Sometimes we just get critical, though. That's, that's one of the symptoms when we, are, when we can't see other people's needs. We're just critical of other people. And, and that's not fair. Is it, is it really fair to be critical? Is it really loving to be critical of other people? We don't know their pain. We don't know what they've been through. We don't know how they got there. Do we? Do we ever know? It's easy. <laughs> Sometimes you get to a place where you've talked to enough people, loved enough people, helped enough people that you feel like you can tell the future. It's not a good place to be. It's really not. Because every person you talk to is a chance for God's grace to work a miracle. We should hope for the miracle, not fear for the cycle that you're seeing. Just to throw that out there. But sometimes we get to a place where we're critical and that infection comes out. Sometimes we just get really self-absorbed. Do you ever get self-absorbed? Man, you guys are spiritual today. Good. Okay, that's good. It's all about me. I need some me time. Sometimes we get to a place where we really think we're special and everyone kind of should take care of us. How you really see this, you ever been in a relationship where you've seen or you've watched one and one person's doing all the work and the other person's letting them do all the work? And if I just described your marriage, Chris and I are available for counseling. 
So sometimes we just get a place that we're just wrapped around ourselves. And then there's a third, there, I'm going to throw out a third way. Uh, I call it compassion fatigue. I th- that's an actual technical term uh, that's used. Sometimes we care for so many people that we burn out. That's also a boundary issue. That's a line issue because you are responsible for your limits. Does that make sense? So you're like, Michael, you're not very, very nice to me. Well, I'm not here to be nice. I'm here to find freedom, okay? Find freedom. So how do we get out of this? Prioritize relationships. Prioritize relationships. How do we do that? Uh, one thing you could do is you could ask the people you're in a relationship this question when you are mature enough to handle the answer. That's key. And that would be, uh, am I carrying my load in this relationship? You know, the issues of boundaries, it's always about honesty. It's really about being honest. A lot of times we're just, we're just lying. And so sometimes we could just ask, am I carrying my load in this relationship? You might ask that of your spouse. How could I better help you? How could I better support you? I mean, my wife's amazing. She always pours into me sometimes. I, I receive that a little more than I should. I'm kind of a slacker sometimes, you know. And so I do that. And so I need, so part of our marriage has been me learning that our relationship is just as much my responsibility as hers. And so you, could, you begin to prioritize relationships in your life. Carrying your load. Think about it. Bible says this in Philippians 2, 4. It says, don't, don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Put others' interests above your own. Proverbs 3, 27, don't withhold good from those who deserve it when it's in your power to help them. So that would be a good way to do it. Another thing you could do, set realistic expectations about relationships. You know, this may come as a shock to some of you. You cannot be everyone's friend. You can be friendly to everyone. But, you know, we have people that we know casually. We have people we know closely. They, we kind of understand them. And then we have people that we know. Intimate relationship. People that we know and we know them. And you know what we do a lot of times in, in this very area of relationship? We try and have a thousand of friends so we can never have one real close one. It's easier to hide in a crowd. And so that's something that we do. So we need to realize you need a friend. You need relationships in your life. You need to contribute to help someone else out with their yard. We need that, and they need that. This is what, how God set things up to work. And so if you're think, sitting there right now and you're thinking to yourself, you know, I don't really have any close friends. This is going to sting. That's on you. On you. And if you need help getting out of that, there's help that's out there. But realize you've got to have them. You can't do. Jesus did not intend for life to be done alone. Okay? So, I looked at four things. When we say yes to the bad and say no to the good, um, when we ignore other people, when we don't respect other people, those are evidences of a trapped life. You know, the truth is, you, you could have areas of your life that fit in all four of those things. I, I'm, I, and this isn't exhaustive. You might have other problems. I'm, chances are you do. And so, my question to you as I can close this is, is let's go back to Jerusalem. 50,000 people in the city of Jerusalem trying to eke out a living in the rubble of a collapsed city. All they have as testimony to their faith is a smooth spot in the ground 
where the temple's going to go. They've got the foundation. And God says, hey, build my house. You are his house. You are his house. I want to challenge you to build the house, your house, to get free, to learn how to grow, to learn to live in the presence of God, to learn to receive from your Father and share it with your brothers and sisters. That's what I want to challenge you to do, to grow. So today is our communion Sunday. I think Brother Allen's about to come up. And here's what I want you to do. I mean, this is communion, man. This is where we celebrate the foundation that was laid, which is none other than Jesus Christ. It's where we, we celebrate. It's where we connect with it. It's a response to our, our state of faith. It's a response to what God has done for us. This morning as I was praying over the room, I just, I have a weird imagination. Forgive me or don't. I'm good. That's your yard. <laughs> and I just, I just, I was just seeing us as we go through communion and just like heaven's open, just the glory of God shining down as God's people remember. I have a great foundation. As you're there, as you dip that wafer, as you eat it, as you think of Christ, also think, Jesus, where do we build from here? Where do we grow from here? And that we'll talk about that some more next week. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the chance to live, to be a Christ follower, to be a representative of Jesus. Set your children free. We live in a world that has a culture that has captivated us and trapped us. We do not realize that we do not have to live according to this system. And Lord, because of that system, we have wrong ideas about relationships, friendships, about religion, about following God, about making money, about everything. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to stop looking out there and worrying about all the things that we can't deal with. And first come home and invite God into, our, into this body, into our yard, into our temple, and let God build it. Surrender, but then work with you. I pray that growth comes out of this today. I pray also that you would raise up men and women to pray for men and women and children, to pour into them. I pray there's lots of conversations about what God has shared with them. I pray this in Jesus' name. You remain seated, Brother Allen.